So, well, good morning, church family. Today we're going to be very briefly in Acts chapter 12, and then we're going to be moving into chapter 13 uh, as we continue the story of Saul and Barnabas. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12, verse 25. And while you're doing that, I have a question for you. Um, have you ever believed that the Lord has spoken to you? Okay. There's a, there's a story that's told of a man who survives a, a shipwreck and then he's washed ashore on a desert island. And as he crawls up on the beach and collapses, thankful to be alive, he suddenly sees that there are some bare feet on the sand in front of him. And he looks up and he discovers that he is surrounded by a group of fierce-looking natives carrying spears. In fear, he shouts, Oh Lord, I'm dead in meat! And suddenly he hears a thunderous voice that no one else seems to hear. No, you are not! Listen carefully, child. The man in front of you is their chief. Grab the spear from the nearest warrior and plunge it into his heart. And quickly the survivor turns to the man next to him. He snatches the spear from his hand and he drives it into the chief who crumples over in the sand. And the rest of the warriors stare at him with their mouths hanging open, just completely shocked. And the man looks around and he shouts, Okay, now what? And the booming voice replies, Now you're dead meat. You know, most of us at one time or another probably thought that God was telling us something that he really wasn't. And likewise, there's probably been other times that the Lord was speaking to us and we were too distracted to listen. We only realized it in hindsight. Well, while the, while the kids are finding the hidden pictures, I'm going to introduce the subject today, which is listening to the Holy Spirit. In many places in Scripture, we read of instances where God the Father speaks and he speaks to Adam and Eve. Uh, he warns Cain not to be overcome by sin. He tells Noah how to build the ark. He makes promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He confronts Moses at the burning bush. He speaks to his people through Moses on Mount Sinai. He reveals his plans through the prophets for centuries before his perfect revelation in Christ Jesus, the Word made flesh. We read the words of God the Son as He spoke in teachings and parables, warnings, and prayers. We can read His instructions to the disciples just before He ascended back into heaven. But it's, it's not often that the Bible specifies that the person of the Holy Spirit speaks. Now, of course, Father, Son, and Spirit are all God in three persons. And when one of them speaks, it's all of them speaking. But when we read of the Father or the Son speaking, it's always verbally, even if through a proxy, or else by means of the written word. In real life, if a voice thundered from heaven, you know, not, not the silly story, but if a, if a voice thundered from heaven, it'd be pretty obvious to us that it was God, right? I mean, you'd think so. But go read John verses 28 and 29 of chapter 12. Um, and, and, you know, you'd be surprised at just how dense we can be. And seriously, I'd like you to write that down if you're, if you're taking notes. Write down John 12, 28 and 29. I'm not going to read it to you now. You should check it out later, though. If people have the ability to be skeptical when the Lord himself speaks from heaven, how in the world can we know whether we are truly hearing from the voice of the Lord when he speaks to us inwardly through the Holy Spirit? It's a good question. I think most of us adult believers have probably struggled with this at some point. And, and folks, 
I'm going to just say this up front. I don't know that I'm going to be able to answer this question today because I'm not sure that I know the answer, except that God's Holy Spirit will never contradict His character or His Word. But I do think that our passage today can help us know how to listen. So if you've turned to the end of Acts chapter 12, let me uh, lead us in prayer, and then we'll dive in. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for these people that are here. Thank you for your word and for the, the amazing privilege of being able to expound on it before your people. And I ask today, Father, that you will help us to recognize that you speak to us uh, through your word primarily, but you also speak to us through your spirit. You speak to us, uh, as it's been pointed out, through other believers. You speak to us through circumstances sometimes. And Father, we are flawed, we are imperfect, and so we, we don't always have the ability to rightly understand what we hear from the Holy Spirit or even to, uh, to recognize His voice. And I pray that today you help us to understand what it means to listen to the Holy Spirit and convict us that we will do it in our lives so that we are able uh, to follow your guidance. Lord, help us this morning to be good soil and that the seed of the word will take root and bear fruit. In Christ's name, amen. All right, folks, starting in verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service. Uh, what, what service is Luke referring to? Do you remember? It's been a while. At the end of chapter 11, we see that the believers in Antioch took up an offering uh, for the people in Jerusalem that were going to be hit with a famine. Do you remember this? This was a few weeks back that we talked about this. So Paul and Barnabas had just come back from there, uh, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. This, this is almost certainly the author of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and we're going to later read, he had a falling out with Paul at one point, and then he's restored to him after some years. Uh, and Mark also ends up being the protege of the Apostle Peter uh, toward the end of his life. Anyway, chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. This is kind of an interesting assortment of people. And we can learn, there, there's a cool fact about the early church, especially once you got outside of Judea. They were very diverse. And by the way, um, we've talked about this before, and it's not an original idea to me by any stretch, but, but I just want to reiterate, diversity by itself is not automatically a strength. Okay? We hear that a lot. Diversity is strength. Listen, it can be a huge weakness if it results in disunity. But diversity among a bunch of unified people is a tremendous benefit. It shows that, that the ideal or the purpose or, or the culture that they share transcends those barriers that, that can separate them if they choose to allow it. And we see that right here, there was a, a variety in this group. We see that there's a variety in the spiritual gifting. And prophecy and teaching are, are two gifts that they can complement one another, but they're not the same gift. And then we read the names of these prophets and teachers, and there's variety there as well. First, we have Barnabas. You remember Barnabas? His name was originally Joseph. Uh, he was called Son of Encouragement, Barnabas, and that was his, his nickname. But he was a Jewish Christian. 
Okay? Second, we have Simeon called Niger. And, and it, it, it is awesome to me that the, the scholarship teaches us that Simeon was a black Christian of African descent. As the Greek word translated Niger literally means black. It's where the, the title for the country Nigeria comes from. And this is beautiful to me as, as it shows that there was, there was no problem in the church with people of different skin colors considering one another brothers and sisters. And today, you know, people from our culture's collective heads would explode about the fact that Simeon's nickname was black. Because we are, we're overly sensitive about externals today. But I think it's beautiful that people back then could actually remark on and celebrate the diversity in the body of Christ without people getting offended. Anyway, so we have different spiritual gifts. We have different nationalities and skin tones. And then we have the name Lucius, which is of Latin origin. He was probably a Hellenistic Jew. If you remember, those are the, the Jews that, that had, instead of being in Hebraic culture, they were in Greek culture. And at one point, remember, uh, the Hellenistic Jews would have been looked down on by, by the real Jews, you know. And then we see Menaean. He was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, who had been deposed by the Romans and then sent to Spain in exile. He probably died real soon after that. Um, this was a bad dude, <laughs> and he was a weak leader. He was the guy that had John the Baptist beheaded, okay? Because he, remember, he was afraid of looking bad in front of some of his dinner guests. But despite this past history, Menaean was a leader in the church at Antioch. And Saul, of course, before his conversion, he was one of the Pharisees. And remember, the Pharisees historically hated Herod. They were enemies of Herod Antipas. But here they were, five men of completely different origin, background, and characteristics who were all striving together in the faith. And we're at a disadvantage today, I think, in many congregations because we are lacking in the unified diversity that the early church had. And that's another subject for another day, but I wanted to mention it because I think it's important. Church, if you're not already doing this, reach out to people who are different from you. And be thankful that we have brothers and sisters in Christ who aren't the same as we are. Uh, we're going to get back to the main focus here, though. It, be, it becomes more apparent in this paragraph um, what the main focus here, how this fits. And I'm going to read through it. We're going we're to parse it together, okay? While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. All right. First of all, I want to point out that this, this passage mentions a couple of things that the Holy Spirit did. Okay, and I, I think we can, we can ascertain there are also things that He does today. Okay, the things that He was doing then, He can do today. This, this is what that blank space on the front of your bulletin insert's for, by the way, um, if, you, if you want to take some notes. When we read this paragraph, okay, Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit said, and also that Saul and Barnabas were sent out by the Holy Spirit, which tells us that the Holy Spirit speaks and the Holy Spirit sends. And these are both very important aspects of the Spirit's ministry to believers. And we're going to get a little deeper into both of those verbs as we go, but it's important to mention them up front. Because, listen, even, even if we're not receiving the message loud and clear, the Holy Spirit does both speak and send. 
we see also that the Holy Spirit can be very clear. I mean, Luke records him as saying, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So the Holy Spirit not only speaks, but he speaks specifically and understandably. And I think that's super important for us to, to recognize, because I think there's times where we might get like a, a vague, you know, nebulous feeling about something, and we want to attribute that to the Lord, but that's not necessarily accurate. We can know from this text that at least at times God's Spirit speaks in such a way that is very obvious what he's saying, what his will is. And it's also, uh, he, he is quite capable of being understood. Which leads us back around to the original idea behind this passage. If we want to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying, then we need to be listening. So the next obvious question then is, how? Right? How, how do we listen to the Holy Spirit? And I believe we're given a great outline right here in this passage with three words that just kind of jump off the page. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, Luke writes, this is when the Holy Spirit spoke, and then after fasting and praying some more, they complied. And so from this paragraph, I get the impression that three keys to listening to the Holy Spirit are right here in these two sentence fragments. And this is where we're going to spend most of the remainder of this morning's message. Okay? The first point, the first key to listening to the Holy Spirit in this passage is worship. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke. Now, worship, that's a pretty broad word, right? And when reading this passage in, in English, you know, I first thought about worship, like in the sense of, you know, like singing, you know. I was thinking kind of along those terms. But typically, the Greek word that's translated worship, it's the word proskuneo, which means to blow a kiss toward or, or to kiss toward. That's not the word that's used here. Now, that's, that's a great word. It's a, it's a show of affection and gratitude that is only appropriate towards the Lord. But that is, that's not the word. It's a very different Greek word. And it comes from the root latreo, which is, is talking about the service, the, the religious duty that a priest might have. So it's literally talking about people ministering before the Lord. And this is, this is important for us to consider, especially if we, if we tend to think of worship you know, mainly in terms of music. And I've heard it said before, there, there's a reason that we call what we do on Sunday mornings a worship service. It's a service to the Lord, right? It's not about us. This is hard to remember sometimes, I think, when, when we really like a song, you know, we really kind of get into it, we may forget we're worshiping. Or if we really don't like a song, you know. There, there's that too. Sometimes, you know, we think it's about our feelings, but it's not. In reality, everything that we do is supposed to honor God, right? I mean, think about it. The reading of Scripture, the songs of praise, obediently taking the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Jesus, the giving of offerings, the, the proclamation of the gospel. These are done for honoring God. All of this is our service to the Lord. And we do it corporately, meaning we do it all together. We're all together. It states that they were worshiping. And I'm certain that those of you who've spent time recovering from COVID 
or you know whatever we, the ailments we seem to have have all passed around or all dealt with the last couple of months you know you can testify that it is a blessing being able to watch the service from home but it is not the same right not the same it's not the same as being with like-minded believers who are engaging in service to our king it's just not Christians were intended to worship the Lord together. In fact, Hebrews 10 has a very clear admonition, uh, uh, basically a don't do this, you know, is what an admonition would be. It's against forming a habit of missing worship service. It specifically says, you probably heard this before, do not forsake the assembly, as some are in the habit of doing. And it gives the appropriate alternative, instead spur one another on toward love and good works. Or stir one another up is how it's often translated. It's pretty much impossible to do that if you're absent. It's also really, really hard for us to do that for you. It's pretty much impossible. We can only uh, encourage you from afar. It's not the same. So if you're watching this, but you could be here, um, I want to encourage you, just as the author of Hebrews did, do not make a habit of forsaking the assembly with your physical presence. That is not my word. That is God's word. Okay, so they were together, and on top of that, they were engaged in corporate worship intentionally. Now, clearly, they were together with the purpose of worshiping the Lord, and that may seem obvious, right? You know, but... Allow me to explain why it's important to recognize this. Corporate worship doesn't happen unless it's on purpose. I mean, it may on rare occasions. I'm sure there are times where the Holy Spirit has spontaneously produced that. But it's very rare, even in Scripture. There's a lot that happens for a, a service to come together. And I want you to, to, you probably understand some of this, but most of what y'all see and hear on stage it might be put together, you know, by, by a front man or two, but there's so much that happens behind the scenes by people that don't get a paycheck for it. So much. I mean, just as an example, there is a ton of work that goes into that bulletin that you hold in your hands every week, and the majority, the majority of that is done by a volunteer. And the people who run the sound and the slides and and the Sunday school teachers, and the music prep, and the worship team that backs up Everett every week, the people that deal with the offering and, and prepare communion and write the meditations, they're all volunteers. And the rest of, of, of the elders, you know, the, the prayer warriors that lift up the service and lift up the prayer list, the, the technology gurus, you know, that make sure that you guys at home can experience this virtually, thank our volunteers. They do this. And if you extend it beyond the worship service, we have a lot more volunteers that, that clean the building and cook the meals and change the babies and write the checks and mow the lawn and organize the ministry projects. And the list goes on and on. These gifts, your gifts in the service of the Lord, they matter. They matter. And they are appreciated. You matter. These gifts don't happen by accident. They, they are intentional. They are a choice that you make to serve. And you matter. So anyway, back to the point. Uh, a service of worship 
to the Lord provides an opportunity to be receptive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, especially since the Holy Spirit is already speaking so powerfully, spoken so powerfully in one way that we refer to every single week, and I'm pretty sure you guys know what that is, right? The word of this, this is the Holy Spirit spoke. He spoke through people. God literally, God expired, God breathed. Our service to the Lord ought to be according to his word. So those of you, you, you may have noticed this. If you've been following along in the Bible app, some of us are reading the Old Testament too, as well as the New Testament um, this year. And you, you may have been shocked last week, if you'd never read this before, to read that God struck down two of Moses' nephews. You remember this? Aaron's sons, right? Nadab and Abihu struck them down for making an offering in the tabernacle that God had not authorized. Now, the way the Israelites were required to worship God was very specific. And we Christians have a whole lot more freedom in our expression uh, of our worship today because Jesus Christ is our high priest, right? He's crucified and risen, and now he's interceding for us in heaven before the Father. And, and his, his once and for all sacrifice was enough to atone for the sins of mankind. And so no other sacrifice is necessary. So it's a very different type of worship, but it doesn't change the fact that we listen to the Holy Spirit by engaging with what he has already spoken. Even back in the first century, Paul told Timothy to, to publicly read the scripture in the assembly of believers, and that was an important way that God's Spirit would speak to them. Now, very quickly, I want to add to this what we ought to be doing with the word if we want to hear the Holy Spirit speak through it. Okay, first and perhaps most obviously we need to read it, right? We need to read it, not just here, but you ought to read it at home. And with the Holy Spirit's help, we need it so that we can understand it. I mean, Scripture tells us that a person whose mind is on the flesh won't understand the things of God. In fact, they'll be hostile toward the things of God. So it, the Bible should be both read and understood by anyone who wants to hear from the Lord. But see, reading and understanding, that's only the beginning, right? I mean, anybody who's ever studied for a test at school or, or studied a grocery list and accidentally left it on the counter, you know? Um, you need to memorize the things that are important so they'll stick. And memorization happens in the head, but internalization happens in the heart. We memorize with our mind, but our heart internalizes. When we dwell on the Word of God and when we meditate on the Word of God, it will become a part of us. And that is a powerful defense against the wrong kind of voices. For example, when Christ was in the wilderness, he's being tempted by the accuser. He never fell prey to the wrong voice because he had the Father's Word. He had it memorized. He had it internalized. Every time the devil came up and tried to trick him into a sin, Jesus replied with Scripture. Every time. Now, before you say, well, that's not fair, he was the Word of God made flesh, granted. But remember that Jesus was also fully human as well as fully God. And he had to memorize verses just like we do. And it was an effective way to keep from being fooled by the voice of the unholy spirit. But even then, we see that the devil, the devil has scripture memorized too. 
Because he, he quotes Psalm 91 to Jesus trying to tempt him to sin. Bear in mind, Scripture can be twisted. It can be misused. Satan is very skilled at that. But thank the Lord, you know, Jesus, he didn't fall for that. Because he knew his Father's word well enough to recognize when it was being misused. And I'd be willing to, to bet that probably had something to do with the fact that he was practicing it. So don't just read it. Don't just memorize it. Agree with God's word and do it. It is through the practice of correctly responding to the word that we have, which helps us listen when the Holy Spirit gives us more. And again, the Spirit will never contradict the written word of God that he has already given us. So, worship helps us with listening to the Holy Spirit. But what else do we see in this passage? Just in, just in this little paragraph, twice, Luke tells us that they were fasting. And that Greek word literally means abstaining. And in context, it's, it's probably referring to abstaining from food. But the scripture tells us of instances where people abstain from other things for the sake of hearing from the Lord. One, one particular instance is uh, when the prophet Daniel was waiting to hear from the Lord. You remember this in Daniel chapter 10. He's, he's praying for about three weeks before the angel gets to him. And it says he abstained from, from wine and from other luxury items, basically uh, lotions, things like that. I know that sounds kind of weird to our ears, but he was basically royalty. So he set aside, he abstained from some of his, his luxuries for the sake of hearing from the Lord. I, I think fasting is probably the least often practiced of any spiritual discipline, at least in America. And my question for you is, why don't we do it? I'll give you a second to think about that. Because we like McDonald's. We're not willing to give up food. We are, we are a country of consumers, yes. We are very bent on having what we need when, or what we think we need right. when we want it. Yeah. Instant gratification. Oh, we avoid discomfort. Yeah. Hmm. You know, Jesus said, when you fast to his disciples. Not if you fast. Are we too comfortable with having what we want when we want it? How many of you have Amazon Prime? Love it! <laughs> Not a fan of Jeff Bezos, but I use Amazon Prime. It's nice to have all that free shipping. Probably saved hundreds of dollars a year doing that. But I'll tell you what, if it doesn't come the next day, I get disappointed. <laughs> Don't you? Now, we do have prime two-day shipping, so I know there's times where it might take two days. But we want things right now. And I think if we were to answer the question, are we too comfortable with having what we want when we want it, the answer is a huge yes. And I think it might be good for us to practice fasting on a more regular basis. So let me ask you this. What, what is the purpose of, of fasting or of abstaining from something when it comes to listening to the Holy Spirit? You know, Matthew Henry uh, wrote something on this in his commentary. And I like what he had to say. Uh, he had a couple of things. First, it's a way to humble oneself before the Lord. 
I think that makes sense. You know, to say, I'm not going to eat for a while, to show that I understand what Jesus understood, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. My dad used to say that fasting is showing God you're serious. We're showing him we're serious about depending on him and that we need his help. We need his guidance. I mean, not that God has to be shown that. He knows our hearts. But it's good for us to show him by our actions that we recognize his greatness and our need, our dependence. So another way that it teaches us to listen to the Holy Spirit is that it teaches the flesh who's boss, so to speak. You know, the Puritans called it mortifying the flesh. It means putting to death the sinful nature by not feeding it. Now listen, that, that doesn't mean food is sinful. I mean, God, God made it for us to, to enjoy, and he made it for us to be sustained by it. And it's the same thing with anything that God created for good, but that you might choose to abstain from, you know, for a time, for the sake of training your body, you know, so, to, so that you recognize you're in control of your desires, right? Your desires are not in control of you. At least they shouldn't be. This is an active part that we get to take in our sanctification by purposely choosing not to indulge ourselves in everything that we may want, even beneficial things. We raise our sensitivity level to the voice of God. And frankly, I'm not sure exactly why it works that way, but I know it does. Refusing to feed every impulse that we have gives us a clearer and a more disciplined mind, which I think God historically honored with his people. He, he does this by revealing his will to us. So thirdly, fasting helps us to listen because we are removing distractions for the sake of focusing on God's voice. Now, please understand, this whole time, okay, that I've been talking about listening to the Holy Spirit, I, I didn't mean he would speak with an audible voice, Okay? I mean, and Luke isn't really clear in today's passage whether the Holy Spirit spoke in an audible voice or, or simply by revealing the Lord's will to the church leaders, but I, I think it, I would guess it probably was not an external voice. I don't think it was like that, the goofy story. That's not normally how God works in the New Testament. Of course, on the one hand, every time you read Scripture out loud, think about it, anyone within the sound of your voice is audibly hearing from the Holy Spirit. Think about that. When you come up here, if it's your day to do the second reading, people are hearing the Holy Spirit when you read that word. Do you understand that? Understand how, how amazing and powerful and wonderful that is? Such a gift. But that's, that's not what we're talking about here. But I want to just say that's important. What we're talking about, uh, when we say listening to the Holy Spirit, we're not necessarily talking about with our ears, but with our Christ-renewed hearts. You know, especially during times when you have major upcoming decisions, uh, I've found it helpful to spend time fasting from certain things that I enjoy, including food at times, and, and asking the Lord to show me His will. And it really does help. But of course, fasting is really most effective when it's coupled with the third way that this passage teaches us, that we can listen to the Holy Spirit, and that is through prayer. Prayer, simply put, prayer 
is communication between a believer and the Lord. And there are many ways to pray, you know, but, but Luke kind of leaves us guessing here. We're not given a window into how they prayed or for how long or what was said. Uh, and so what I'd like to do is kind of share with you both scripture and experience what, what that has taught me about listening to the Holy Spirit through prayer. Okay, first, there is great value in asking the Lord for wisdom. There is great value in asking the Lord for wisdom. And this is a general truth, but not only that, it is a promise in Scripture. James 1.5 says, If anyone lacks wisdom, then he should ask the Lord, and it will be given him without finding fault. So in other words, if you know that you don't know, ask. And rather than holding our foolishness against us, God will make us wise. That's a promise. I'm not sure why we don't pray for wisdom more often. In the early chapters of the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified as, as a literary device. And the description sounds very similar to what we know of the Holy Spirit. Also very similar to what we know of Christ. So to be able to listen to the Spirit, it is a great boon to us that our Heavenly Father gives us the mind of Christ when we ask. But we need to ask. Along those same lines, uh, while, it, while it's, it's great that we can receive God's wisdom in general, there's times where we're, we're going to come to him with specific questions, and we need some specific answers, right? So we should ask with regard to specifics, especially when it comes to a point in your life that, that you might be making a life-altering decision. You know, who to marry, uh, whether to move, whether to change your job or your school or even your church. Uh, these, are, these are all great times to seek the Lord's word specifically, to seek his will very, very particularly. I can vividly remember, I mean, it was about five years ago or getting close to that, but I vividly remember going on prayer walks pretty consistently seeking to know the Lord's will about the opportunity to be the pastor at Crossroad Christian Church, asking him for his will to be apparent so that there'd be no mistaking it. And he did make it plain. He did that through, through the guidance of other believers. He did it through the orchestration of circumstances. And he did it through a very deep sense of peace about the decision. And I, I believe that we, we receive that sense of peace when we are acting in line with the Holy Spirit. Because he is our, he's our paraclete. He is our counselor that, that lives inside of God's people. And he helps us to know... Uh, he, the, the will of God when we're seeking it. But there's one final aspect of prayer that we need to learn in order to really listen to the Holy Spirit. It, it's where, this is where the listening part comes in. We've got to learn to be quiet sometimes. It's harder to hear when we're talking, isn't it? Right? Can I get an amen? Yeah. <laughs> It's hard to hear when you're talking. This, this is the toughest part of prayer for me uh, because I'm, I'm accustomed to hearing an, an audible voice when I'm having a conversation with another person, right? Or, you know, at least able to read their text, right? You know? And that's part of the reason also that Scripture is so important 
to, to be in when you're in prayer. But because this is one of the ways that God speaks back to us. But if we don't hear anything quickly, I think especially nowadays because we are so spoiled about communication being nearly instantaneous, we start feeling like we're just talking to ourselves instead of praying. But remember, prayer, prayer is communication between a believer and the Lord, and it doesn't just go one direction. This is a two-way thing. When we ask for wisdom and then we ask for specific answers or specific direction, we need to be willing to patiently wait for a reply. And again, it's, it's probably not going to be a thunderous voice from heaven, but a quiet whisper within our redeemed hearts. By the way, I just want to reiterate. Don't ever expect me to tell you to listen to your heart. Mm -mm. Terrible idea. But sometimes God's Spirit speaks to our hearts. Be listening to the Holy Spirit. It may not be what you want, but it's what God wants. And that is way more important. It's also way more valuable. We have to listen. So worship and fasting and prayer are all means of boosting our receptivity to the Spirit's voice. But we must take time to be quiet and listen. Finally, Luke says that the believers laid their hands on them. That was Saul and Barnabas. And sent them off. And then below that, he writes that they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So our final thought for today is, is what is the proper response to when the Holy Spirit speaks? And I think simply put, it's, belief, it, it's conveyance and obedience. If you believe, then conveyance and obedience are the proper response when the Holy Spirit speaks. We see that the laying on of hands, that was a way, and it still is today, but that was a way back then that they would consecrate God's people for a specific purpose, which the Holy Spirit had revealed, in which the believers, they conveyed this by giving the apostles a special anointing. You know, and it was the Holy Spirit that truly does the anointing, but, but when you lay hands on a person, you're being obedient to what God tells you to do. And it was a way of the Holy Spirit then revealing and, and, and people being able to do the work that God calls them to do. They were, they were being sent. I also find it interesting that he says, and the Holy Spirit sent them. I mentioned that earlier. You know, it was the believers that laid hands on them, the believers that, that spoke and, and said send, but who was doing the sending? Right. For those of you that mouthed it, <laughs> it was God. Ultimately, he's the one who does the sending. And then out of obedience, Saul and Barnabas embarked on God's journey for them in church. This is what we're supposed to do here, okay? And I hope this is what we do here in this church. I, I hope and pray that by expounding on God's word, the voice of the Holy Spirit is being conveyed to each of you, and, and it helps you to listen to him. I hope. And I hope and pray that your response upon the revelation of his will is obedience. The truth is, friends, you, you can't even hear the Holy Spirit with your heart unless God has opened your spiritual ears to do so. But if you can, if you can hear, you have no excuse to reject his call. 
Your obedience begins with a response to faith in Jesus who died on the cross to pay the price for your sins and who rose from the dead. And your response in obedience, if you have this faith, is to repent of your sins, trust in Jesus for your salvation, confess him as the Christ, the Son of the living God, and be immersed as his word commands. If you've already done these things in obedience, well, you're not done. Keep listening. Keep learning. Keep walking in faith. And let's walk together. That's why we're here. That's why we come together for worship corporately, intentionally, that we may walk together. Will you bow with me? Lord, if there's anyone here who is moved today by faith from the Holy Spirit speaking to them, I pray, Father, that you convict them, that they might not walk away today without experiencing the grace that comes from a relationship with Christ. I pray for mercy on all of us as we, we fail miserably in so many ways in our lives, and yet you still love us. And Father, Please help us to walk faithfully to, with you and to listen to the Holy Spirit. And help us to, uh, to strive each day to hear your will for us that day so that we can walk in it, so that we can be faithful in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.